Hello guys and welcome back to the Blue Boy Podcast. I'm your host as always, Kyle Quinn. And joining me again today is Chris, one of my regular co-hosts. Uh, how's things, Chris? Not too bad, Kyle. Pleasure to be back on, mate. Pleasure to be on. Yeah, well, we timed the show absolutely perfectly. It's the day when United finally started to sign players in the 2022 transfer market. It's been a long time coming. Um, it's, it's taken until nearly July for United to finally get a get a player in through the door. Of course, they're not in through the door yet, but they seem to be making a lot of progress with at least two deals. Um, so we'll start off uh, by talking about Frankie de Jong. Um, he, t- he tends to feature in every episode of every podcast now about Manchester United. But it seems as if uh, things are very close to being done now. Um, uh, all, the, all the major uh, reliable journalists are reporting that um, the fee is going to be an, an initial 65 million euro uh, plus 20 million euro in variables. And the only thing left to decide between the two clubs is how those variables will be will be paid. You know, what will it be based on? Will it be based on appearances, goals, or that stupid Ballon d'Or clause that Woodward used to put in? Uh, I assume that won't be in this one. Ooh. But yeah, that's it. They just have to work out the structure of the variables and then it's kind of deal done. So are you happy and relieved finally that this saga is coming to an end, Chris? Absolutely, Kyle. If for no other reason, I'm happy to not be continually listening to and reading the stories every single day and all the speculation. And as always, Man United are always linked with about five hundred thousand players every every se- throughout the season. Never mind even when the transfer windows up and run. So I'll be glad to see the back of all all the speculation. But you know, on, on a on a serious note, really glad to see Frankie De Jong coming in. Um, is it Frankie or Frankie? By the way, it looks like Frankie. It's uh, Frankie with an E rather than an R, which is unusual spelling, but it, it must be a, a kind of a Dutch spelling of Frankie. Fair enough. Um, no, I think I think it's really good good news, Kyle. I mean, everything that I've been reading says that this is the player that Eric Ten Hag was, was saying, this is my number one target. This is the player that I absolutely want. And so for that reason alone... I'm glad that they've backed him and have actually pulled out all the stops to get to get this done. Um, I was a wee bit concerned earlier in the transfer window when all the talk was that actually it was De Jong himself was holding the deal up, um, and that you know Barcelona was his kind of his favorite club, and he wasn't sure about going. And traditionally in the past, players with that mindset haven't worked out too well for us, as we know we can talk about you know Sanchez's and Di Maria's etc. Um, but actually on this occasion. You know, we know that him and Ten Hag have a, have a great relationship. So actually, I feel much more, you know, sort of positive that, that regardless of any reservations he may have had, once he gets in the door and working with Ten Hag again, that he'll, he'll hopefully hit the ground running. So, yeah, yeah, I'm really, really, really excited about this one. Well, given our current position and the season we just had, uh, we're obviously outside of the Champions League. Um, if we were going to make a more key signing, um, he was going to take a bit of persuading, um, especially as... He's he's a regular starter for Barcelona. They finished second in La Liga. They're obviously in the Champions League. Uh, him and his 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 girlfriend love life in, in in Barcelona, and you can't blame them for that. So it was going to take a a wee bit of persuasion. Um, and it, he probably was persuaded by Ten Hag, as he, as as like he alluded to there. He's used to working with him, but but also um, at um, what was I going to say? 
I'd, um, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> At Barcelona? Uh, yeah, he hasn't really got much of a choice because Barcelona want to sell him and United are the only club in for him. So what else can he do? I mean, he can't just squat uh, at the new camp. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know what I mean? No, exactly. Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, this is a thing. You know, I always say that whenever players, whenever players, um, whenever you're convincing a player to can kind of leave a club, you know, you can. I mean, you know, players are human beings. You know, the various motivations, in my opinion, you know, obviously one is money. People always talk about that's a cynical view. You always hope that that's not the reason. You know, and you always hope that it's for footballing reasons. Yeah, and most people look at Barcelona and say, "Why would anybody leave Barcelona right now to go to to go to Manchester United?" You know, given given the form we're in. But I always hope that when a player does do that, that how he sells it to himself, or how the you know the player gets himself up for the challenge is that that it is that he sees it as a challenge. You know, and says, "I can be part of something here." You know, something new, something fresh, kind of like what he was at Ajax. You know, in many ways, Ajax was a project. You know, it was a lot of, lot of young guys, you know, pulled, pulled together and they achieved things they probably never dreamed of achieving. And, and I'm hoping that Ten Hag is saying the, the likes of De Jong, you know, I'm going to do the same here, but I've got a much bigger budget this time. You know, and that actually we might be able to achieve even more. We may be able to one day actually go on and win the Champions League and, you know, win the Premier League. And, you know, you'd win things that, that we just could never get to at Ajax because we didn't quite have the resource. So I'm hoping that he's buying into that, and that's what kind of Ten Hag, you know, is, is selling to him. Um, and that hopefully get him motivated, you know, to, to give his best. And um, yeah, uh, hopefully he'd be a great signing there. Yeah, I think Barcelona obviously want to raise cash to to, to sign players like Jules Kunde and Lewandowski and you know people like that. And in midfield, they've got young academy players. That are that have broke into the first team, like Gavi and and De Pedri, who are Spanish internationals. So they've got replacements already for De Jong. Uh, so the the feel that they they can afford to lose him. Um. So the it, it sounds just like a wee bit they've been kind of pushing him out, and he'll be well aware of that for quite a while now. And um, and there's nobody else has come in for him, um, except United and. It's not a bad option considering I know there's no Champions League football for twelve months at least, but it's not a bad option considering a manager that he's worked with is has taken over at United and he's probably sold the project to him that you know you're gonna be my main man in midfield. I'm gonna re- I'm gonna rebuild the team around you. You know, you know, players can be seduced with language like that. Um just just it's just obviously gonna be uh, tough for him, you know, giving up uh, the lifestyle in Barcelona to come and live in Manchester, uh, rainy Manchester. <laughs> but then again, the, the Dutch climate is very similar to the climate in the UK, so I'm sure it won't be that hard for him to adopt to it. No, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, so the question is for me, what way is Ten Hag going to structure the midfield? Because if we sign Ericsson as well, which is, is highly plausible, we're going to have we're going to be very top heavy in terms of attacking midfielders. So, De Jong, Eriksen, Bruno, and Van der Beek. But we're just left with McFred again, and for the more defensive positions. So I don't really understand what way this is going to be structured. I, either he's going to have to play one of Fred and McTominay in a midfield three. Or he's gonna go be he's gonna be really bold and he's gonna play like a midfield of De Jong, Fernandez and Van der Beek. Which I can't I can't 
maybe that'll happen in certain if we're at home to Fulham, at home to Bournemouth, for example, we might see that. But we won't see that against Liverpool, City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham. We won't see that type of midfield. Someone like Fred McTominay is bound to feature in it. If, but obviously, what the fans really prefer is is for us to sign a more defensive minded player. Um, obviously, De Jong can dic- can dictate play from deep. Um, but you would like to see a more combative player alongside him. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question, Kyle. I think that probably is the burning question, really, in many ways. And I know that Ericsson isn't the done deal, but it, it you know it sounds like whether he comes or not we want him which means you're right you know we're thinking in terms of having these guys and that does make you wonder at what what Ten Hag's kind of plan is I mean yeah I don't know a massive amount about you know the formation that he played at Ajax you know perhaps you maybe have more insight than that than me but I do I do believe that Ten Hag likes to play a possession based kind of football and from what I can see from the small bits and pieces that I have read and watched of, of the Ajax team, the, um, was that he kind of liked players to kind of defend in packs almost. So kind of hunting in packs. So I think when you're doing that, you have slightly less need for a, a kind of a single combative, you know, sweeping type midfielder, like a Fernandinho or, you know, or somebody to just break, kind of break play up because you're, you're not rather than saying to one guy, you're my midfield clean upper, get the ball for me. You're saying that all your midfielders, you all you all work together and all cl- close down one or two men, you know, in, in a pack of four, um, and when you do that, I think you have slightly less need for that one combative. So maybe, and it's again, it's just a very, you know, my own sort of maybe is that you know perhaps that's what he's thinking, um, is that if he has three or four or five that he doesn't really need to have this one that we have talked about, you know, for a long time that you do traditionally see in in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how, how how he lines them up. Well, your your cousin Matthew, who's been on the show before a few times, thinks he's told me that he thinks that De Jong will be the defensive midfielder, that he will be the deepest uh, midfielder in the team, and he will even when the other team's in possession uh, and they're in our final third, he will even drop in as a third centre back as well. Um, and and I seen a video footage earlier of. Uh, uh, when when Ajax were in possession and in the opponent's final third, um, the fullbacks were pushed up almost like wingers, and then De Jong was actually the the deepest uh, player in, in the picture. There was like the, the fullbacks and then like a the the attack of midfielders on the front man are all pushed up, but De Jong is kind of further back. So probably gives you an indication of, of the role that he's going to play. He looks like he's going to dictate play from deep, and and maybe he isn't going to partner him with a more combative player. Maybe he is going to be the defense midfielder. Not many yeah. people have considered that, but that's yeah, what Matthew point. thinks anyway. Yeah, no, that's a very fair point. Yeah, I think it's it's just as likely. Um, yeah, it's absolutely as likely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, everything I'm reading is you know they're talking about you know kind of De Jong being the linchpin. He's the player that's going to make everything tick. And you know, normally when you hear that, you think of a Paul Scholes, you know, or, or Michael Carrick. But but actually, you know, more importantly, particularly when you play a possession based game, you know, you're not playing long balls in. You know, you're not going to be pinging pinging things around again like our accent actually is quite good at so maybe maybe you're right maybe he's he's going to expect uh, De Jong to be the man doing that sort of defensive cleanup job and then kind of move the ball on you know to get them to get players involved in a more kind of a possession based attack um but yeah yeah be interesting to see how it plays out so Bruce says uh finally look as if we've got something to look forward to and Lambert says uh Myrta moving into beast mode now hopefully Ericsson close surely um, yeah, you would like to think Christian Eriksen will choose Manchester United over Brentford. If he doesn't, uh, it's definitely not footballing reasons. 
Um, it obviously will have something to do with living in London and all that sort of thing. Um, but we'll 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 talk about Ericsson whenever that that deal gets done or doesn't. Um, okay. Um, I just want to move on now and talk about the next potential signing, which is Terrell uh, Malasaya from the the Farnoid left back. Um, which was just uh, announced by David Ornstein and Fabrizio Romano earlier on there. Um, it kind of just, although he had been linked with United, uh, I mean, it just came out of the blue. I mean, in mid-afternoon, we were told that um, United had hijacked Leon's bid for the player, and then a couple of hours later, it was agreement was reached. So it didn't take United very long uh, to get this one done. Clearly, there was a lot of preparation had already been done. So... Fabrizio says agreement between Man United and Farnoid for Terrell Malasaya now now waiting for the player decision. I think we know what his decision will be. Um and the fee will be fifteen million euros plus two million in variables. And he has the same agent as Frankie de Jong. So that's obviously made things you know very easy. Um and the deal with De Jong is progressing well. West Ham were also inter- interested in, in, in this left back and in, in addition to Leon. Um and he certainly seems like someone um, who's absolutely rapid. Um, his strengths include his pace, his one-on-one defending, his press resistance, and his output in the final third. Now, when I've seen him when Farnoid are in possession, he gets very, very high up the pitch. Um, so maybe he, he's potentially crucial to the way Ten Hag wants to play. He, he, I think Ten Hag likes to get the fullbacks very high up the pitch. And the pace of this guy is absolutely electric. So... Um, obviously, it's a major step up coming from the Eredivisie to the Premier League. Even if he is regarded as the best left back in the Eredivisie, he's obviously going to be stepping up in quality. But he certainly seems to have the right attributes to succeed in the Premier League. So, I'm I'm quietly excited about this one. Same, yeah. I haven't I haven't heard much about this deal at all, really, until today. To be honest, you know, again, names of players you know are interested in just disappear in the myriad of you know the the sheer number of names that you see floating about. So. It's easy to not really pick up on them all, but yeah, I had a I had a quick read and, and look at a couple of videos of him um, when I heard the deal was announced earlier. And like you said, Kyle, I mean, yeah, the air to VC, you know, is certainly not the Premier League, and it is going to be a step up for the lad. He's he's pretty young. He's like he's only twenty two, but I mean, he looks absolutely phenomenal. I mean, he's got he looks. If you watch the videos and didn't know he's a left back, you would say he's a left he's a left winger and a pretty good one. You know, lots of skill. You know, doing Marseille roulettes going around people and you know taking players on loot. You know, knocking the ball around people like you say, bolt and pass them like they're like they're not even moving. Um, his his finishing looks phenomenal as well. He scoring from outside the box, left, right, and centre. You know, pinging them in from the eighteen yard line into the top corner and stuff. I mean, he he looks absolutely brilliant. Uh, as you just as you said again, you know, it's going to be a big step up for him. Um, but he certainly has the attributes. I mean, the pace he has, you know, and hoping he'd be able to get up and get back again, um, you know, so you'd hope that he can, you know, perform that that role right up and down that flank pretty well. Um, and certainly, yeah, again, as you say, Ten Hag seems to be quite keen on, on the type of uh, player that he is and, you know, pressing high up, up the front. Um, and again, in a possession-based kind of game, you know, that'll work really well. I mean, yeah, he looks phenomenal. Um, I guess the question then is, and maybe it's not really a question at all is who's going to drop out for him. Um, I think I know what your answer will be, and, and you're probably right. It's probably going to be Tellez. Um, and that's the question is, d- does he then become Luke Shaw's understudy, or would you think that Hag would be looking to actually start the young lad? Um, what, do, what do you think? 
Well, it, it, the fact that Ten Hag has made a beeline for this player indicates to me that he's crucial to the way Ten Hag wants to play. Um, Tele is certainly a goner. Um, could could Ten Hag be absolutely ruthless and just cut Luke Shaw loose as well? Um, I'm sure he could raise quite a, a, quite a bit of money if Ten Hag did decide to sell him. Of course, there's Alvaro Fernandez. He's yet to make his debut. That I mean, maybe he could be the backup if he decided to sell Shaw on Tellers. But I think it's more likely that the Tellers will, will just will just be sold. Um, yeah, it doesn't look like he has a feature at the club. Same with Juan Basaka, uh, like it's been we've talked about previously. Um, so yeah, he, he's an extremely extremely exciting player. Um, another one of the, those players that if he is caught up the field. Um, and we're being countered. He can use his pace to get back and and, and mix and make a last ditch challenge. Uh, I've seen him do that a few times as well. So, um, yeah. So I'm glad to see us go after someone who's a bit unknown, rather than con- constantly trying to sign the biggest name, uh, the most obvious left back in the world. You know, you can imagine if Woodward was still there, we would be pursuing real madrid's left back or barcelona's left back or Barnes left back who the most obvious name you can think of we'd be going after them but this seems to be someone that ten hag is a big fan of from being a manager and they're of easy he's obviously followed this player closely and thinks that now i'm i'm you know i've moved uh, over to a different country i can now sign this player because probably would have been difficult for him to, to bring this player to ajax from farnoid but yeah now he's decided that I can get him. I can get him on cheap fee uh, at Manchester United, and and he's going to be crucial to my plans. Um, so, yeah, um, the the deals seem to be coming thick and fast now. It's a bit like uh, bosses. You can't get one for ages, and then two come along at once. <laughs> so it seems. So it seems. I just hope they keep coming along. <laughs> um, and uh, Vincent here says a Dutch and United fan. Uh, Frankie is a unicorn. He starts at the back and ends in the opponent's half giving pre-assists. He directs the tempo as well, but is not a CDM. And uh, Malasaya is a talented pit bull. Um, so, yeah, that's quite interesting uh, on what, what he's saying there about uh, Frankie de Jong. Um, he obviously sees him as a, a superstar, um, but he starts at the back and ends in the opponent's half, giving new pre-assists. Yeah, so he's the type of player that... He doesn't. He doesn't always register that many assists, and it, you know it's, it's only the player who who plays the ball that the guy who puts it in the net gets the assist. But quite often, there's a lot of work that's done before that, and 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 he is probably that player like Vincent is alluding to. So yeah, we probably won't see De Jong getting twenty Premier League assists, but he'd probably be involved in a lot of our goals. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, from my limited knowledge of of uh, of, of Ajax, Winton Hag was there. You know, I got the indication, like I said, that he loves you know team possession based football. You know, I, I think it was a, a a clip of him um, when he was at Ajax that somebody asked him about a goal that Ajax had scored, where it was basically like every player in the team had touched the ball before in the back of the net, and, and they said, "What do you think of this?" And he just said, "Perfect." He said, "You know, this is what I want every goal to be like," and I think that you know, kind of shows um Ten Hag's approach and and from memory again you know De Jong always seemed to be you know nearly always mentioned you know he was almost always the one starting the move or like say almost finishing the move um maybe you know with with a goal or an assist or or, or the pre-assist 
as Vincent said there. So, I mean, that, that makes sense, you know, like I said, kind of it makes sense, you know, that he's maybe not going to be combative, but he'd rather he's going to be the person who's going to make get the ball, make things tick, you know, start starting moves and kind of, you know, be in the cog, you know, the right man, the right place to kind of keep 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 the kind of the ball moving um toward towards the goal. So yeah, I mean he, again he sounds like he sounds like he's gonna be great. Yeah, and Mohammed says he's an overrated player. I assume Mohammed is not a Manchester United fan. Um, I'm just gonna hazard a guess there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. just gonna move on now to the absurd link between Harry Maguire and Barcelona. Um, but this has been backed up by Andy Mitten, who's very reliable. And he says that in the discussions between Barca and United in recent weeks, Barcelona inquired about the, the, the availability of Harry Maguire and they were told that that he's not for sale, which is unbelievable. Um, so, But we knew this was going to happen, that Tin Hag is going to fancy players that we don't. Uh, and it seems that Harry Maguire is, is going to be one of them. So what is your thoughts on all that? Yeah, it's a bit of a it's all a bit of a strange one. When I first saw it the other day, I think I texted you, Kyle, and I, I didn't even text and say, Is this true? What do you think about this? I just texted and said, There's no way in hell that this is actually true. It just couldn't be. But it turns out that it that it might actually be true. I mean, I don't know. I I have been surprised lots of times over the years with some of the players that um big clubs, particularly Real Madrid and Barcelona, seem to pick up from the Premier League or be interested in the Premier League. Um, at times you go, I can't believe that player's going to Madrid or Barcelona, and, and they go and and they seem to do okay. So, um, yeah, I mean Barcelona are interested in him. It looks like they must be in the market for a centre back. I mean, there's a few things in this for me. The first thing is, yeah, you know, on the face of it, um, you know, United blocked it. Ten Hag apparently said no, which would tell you that okay, Ten Hag wants Maguire and sees him as a big part of his plans. The caveat that I would give to that is if Maguire had have left. You know, in this transfer window unexpectedly, who would have replaced them? And I think that's really the question. Is I would imagine that, as much as a lot of fans, myself included, not massive fans of Harry Maguire, would like to probably see him replaced in the long run. It's not going to happen in the short term. And so, if he had a went, you know, what are we left with? You know, Bay is probably going to go. You know, so it's you know we're talking Lindelof and Varane basically. And if one of them gets injured, then who have we got? So I can see why, from a team perspective, Ten Hag would want him to stay. Whether whether he he might have thought in the long term maybe he wants to get rid of him, but now he's probably not the right time. So I think even if he did want rid of him long term, he probably wouldn't do it now. Um, but you could be right, Kyle. Maybe he really rates him. At the very least, you've got to give him credit and say Ten Hag's maybe just giving everybody a clean slate and giving them a chance. And unless he absolutely wants rid of them, then he thinks I'll give them a chance to prove themselves and and we'll see where we go from there. So. Um, yeah, it could be one of those things. But yeah, it's it's one that can completely out of the blue. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a shock. Well, obviously, Tin Hag can't sign a player in every position this summer, um, despite Ranić saying that we should sign 10 players. That's obviously not financially possible. Um, and maybe he, he's going to put centre-back on the back burner for at least a season, uh, or at least until January anyway, and going to focus on other positions. And maybe that's why. He's not going to sell Harry Maguire this summer. Um, I, I'll be honest, I never expected Harry Maguire to be sold this summer. I just didn't feel that a player who was signed for £80 million just three years ago, when he's got three years left in his contract, was just going to be was going to be sold for a big loss. I didn't think that was going to happen, unless Tin Hag was desperate to get rid of him. Exactly. And 
how Maguire is not someone with a really poor attitude who, who, who's causing problems in the dressing room and leaking stories to the press. He's not one of those players. So I don't think Ten Hag was going to be desperate to get shot of him uh, until he's seen him at close quarters. But if Ten Hag wants to play a high line, it's going to be a problem because we know how slow how Maguire is. But uh, if he keeps him, which we expect him to do, uh, he needs to take the captaincy off him and let him focus on his on his defending first and foremost, and give it to Ronaldo. The captaincy won't overraw Ronaldo. It won't be. It won't scare him to be captain of Manchester United. Whereas Maguire, it just seems of too much of a burden on his shoulders, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. At times, yeah, you're right. And and I think I think the problem is too is that at Manchester United. You absolutely have to lead by example, you know, and the fans, as much as we, we like to back our players, you know, I guess we can be a wee bit ruthless at times. And, you know, we're used to, abs- you know, massively strong captains over the years where, you know, the captain, you know, is almost flawless in his game, you know, where he sets the example for the rest of the team. And Maguire just hasn't been doing that. And so maybe at another club, maybe that's okay. He's the most vocal, you know, the most experienced, but at Man United, you know, it doesn't need to be the most vocal or experienced player. It needs to be the player who's almost flawless on the pitch. Um, and Ronaldo, you know, we know Ronaldo, he's got that. You know, Ronaldo can back it up and say, well, I deserve to be because I my career's better than anybody else in this squad. You know, so I think he can carry that, like you say, better than Maguire. Maguire is under more scrutiny and I don't think he quite um, is at a, at a stage where his game where it kind of bears up to that kind of scrutiny. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. Kind of think it, it's probably better all round if he gives it to give it to Ronaldo. Um, yeah, and let Maguire, you know, get his head down and forget about all that that other stuff and just yeah, focus on his game. Um, yeah, and maximizing his his potential. Yeah, and getting back to where he was like two years ago in his first season at United because he wasn't this bad in his first season. You could actually argue he was he was pretty decent in his first season at United. Um, so if you can get back to that form, that would that would be helpful. Um, but yeah, how is Harry Maguire with you know he's come from Leicester City? He's he had uh, never played in the Champions League prior to playing for United, um, and how is he meant to be the captain of Cristiano Ronaldo? I think just just by signing Ronaldo, Maguire was immediately undermined. So I would say that that's caused some issues as well, um, and you know the the dressing room last season just got really really toxic, um, but. Hopefully, um, any players that were causing problems and leaking stories to the press have now left the club or will be leaving the club. Um, so before we continue, guys, if you haven't got time to watch us on YouTube, our podcast is also available on audio and it's available on all the major podcast providers, including Apple, Spotify, Podbean and uh, Google Podcasts. So check us out there, guys, and give us a wee like on the video and please get more of your comments in as we go through the show. Um. So, I just want to move on now to the, the, the story about Marcus Rashford, which came out today from James Robson from Goal. Um, he's, you know, he's, he's a journalist who's been around for a while. He's just recently moved to Goal. I think he's at the Evening Standard. Is at Manchester Evening News previously. And he says that Marcus Rashford plans to make it clear that he wants a defined position on the left. Now, for me, uh, Rashford needs to focus and getting his form back. I don't think he should make should be making demands to a new manager about where he should be playing. Um, I, do, do you think that he's maybe getting too big for his boots now, Rashford? I mean, if, if, that, if that's true, um, 
then probably I would say, yeah. I mean, you never know, you know, with stories, but like you say, you know, James Robson's a pretty reputable journalist. Um, I mean, I guess you could say, you look at it two ways, you could say that, okay, you know, it's it's good that, that, a, that a player is coming to a new manager and being straight up front with him saying, look, you know, this is where I see myself playing, this is, what, this is where I like to play, you know, I feel like this is where I'm at my best, I would like to play there. I think that's honest and that's good, but it depends whether it's a kind of a, you know, a statement of his opinion in a forthright way or if it's him making kind of demands and giving ultimatums. And if that's the case, then he definitely is too big for his boots because, you know, he hasn't performed well enough the last couple of years to demand anything at all of any manager. Um, You know, I mean, Ten Hag will have his own ideas. You know, maybe he sees Rashford playing out there. Maybe he sees him playing through the middle. Um, I was reading the story that he that he sees him playing as kind of an understudy to Ronaldo, um, which will probably not be what he wants. But I mean, the fact is that um, again, Ten Hag, um, like many of these modern managers, you know, the team are is is much more important than the sum of its parts. And if Rashford wants to be part of that team, he's going to have to knuckle down and just do whatever he's told. Um, that's that, that's just the way it is. Um, that's what a good professional uh, would do. So, yeah, again, it depends, Kyle. I think on on um, how it came across. But if it is a demand as such, then yeah, I think Rashford's got in no position to be making any demands at all. Uh, no, definitely not. Um, if he wants to have a defined position on the left, he can play a left back in the changing rooms. <laughs> <laughs> no, left, but, and, left back at home. <laughs> but in all seriousness, uh, he's going to be competing with Jaden Sancho for that spot on the left hand side. And maybe that, uh, if I'm going to put a positive spin on it, that, that would be quite healthy. Both of them are vying for that, that, that role on the left then it certainly would benefit the team. It will keep them both motivated because they both will obviously want to start. So, um, yeah, um, if, if Rashford can recover his form to where he was two years ago and Sancho can get to where he was at Dortmund or or, can, or get to where he was last season from January to March, if he can get to that level of consistent basis, then we're going to benefit from it. If we got these two players playing at their maximum, then that's certainly going to benefit the team, isn't it? Hundred percent, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you're you're right, Kyle. I mean, that's you know a problem we've had for a long time is we haven't had that level of competition for places, you know, because we've been kind of um, often players have been nearly as bad as each other. But you're right. I mean, in any in any top squad, you know, even when the teams going out winning leagues and Champions Leagues, you know, it's often said over the years, doesn't matter how good you are, how good your players are, they have to be kept hungry. And that's why teams always strengthen in key positions, you know, season after season, regardless of whether they already have the best team in the league or not. Um, for that reason, people need to stay hungry. Players need to stay motivated. So absolutely, yeah. I mean, if um, if you have the two guys there, both busting the play on that left-hand side um, and they're vying with each other, um, as long as Ten Hag is able to manage that and keep those kind of egos in check and, and channel those um, kind of demands in the right way, then it could definitely benefit the team. Um, yep, so hopefully that's the way it goes. Um, but yeah, like you said there before, if he's making demands and he's going to throw the toys out of the pram and kind of sulk if he's not getting his way, well then, you know, it's it, it's going to become a toxic thing and it'll be a negative. But, you know, yeah, looking on the positive side, hopefully um, it, it, it'll turn into a positive, a positive scenario. Yeah, I don't think that the season's going to turn out positive for every single player. Um, but as long as it turns out well for most of them, then we're going to benefit from it. Um, so Ten Hag apparently wants to move on to a versatile forward now. Um, I'm hoping it's going to be someone who's a specialist on the right-hand side. 
because um, that's what we need. We thought Sancho was going to be that, but he wants to play on the left as well. We're just overstocked on the left-hand side. We want someone, with the modern winger now on the right, where he's left-footed and he likes to cut in on his left foot, like uh, Riyad Mahrez, for example, or Mo Salah. Um, we want to have that player in our team. And Ten Hag seems to favour Anthony, um, the player that he had at Ajax last season, the Brazilian. That would be fantastic if we could get him in um, Ten Hag could obviously nurture him and, and improve him as a player, continue to improve him as a player. And uh, hopefully, he, if he does come in, he'll be able to make the step up in the, in the to the Premier League. But if somehow Ajax prices out of that one, and I'm just, this is totally left field, Chelsea uh, are going to be signing Rafinha now from Leeds f- for upwards of 55 million. And uh, Ziyech is going to be leaving Chelsea. Apparently, he's been made surplus of requirements by Thomas Tuchel. Now, Ziyech uh, has been at Ajax before, uh, worked under Ten Hag in that team that got to the Champions League semi-finals. Um, if, if, if we're priced out of Anthony, could it be a possibility um, of Ten Hag moving for Ziyech uh, at Chelsea? I think it would be a good idea, yeah. Funny, uh, I, I, I kind of mirrors pricked up slightly at that the other day as well. Um, because yeah, like you said, kind of remember that um, Ziyech had been at, at Ajax with um, with Ten Hag before, and was I think he was pretty influential in that team. He was a big, big part of a part of the success there, and um, which is probably why he got that he got that move to Chelsea. Um, yeah, I like Ziyech. I think he's a good player. He's got a bit of character about him too. You know, he, he knows the Premier League. He doesn't seem like he's he's easily phased by anyone. You know, he looks the kind of kind of guy you would mess with um which is great you know we need more people like that in the squad um yeah i'm i'm, I'm a big fan of him actually um and like you said you know given given the system that that hag is kind of trying to implement and the fact that ziek is already again like van de beek and um and de jong has been in that system before and they say again having the bonus of knowing the premier league and being successful in the premier league too you know he, he, he's a good player ziek you know he hasn't been a uh, I think he's been he's done quite well at Chelsea. Um, I would I would be happy to see him come in. Yeah, I think that would be a good move. Wh- whether Chelsea would want to do the deal or not is another thing. Um, but yeah, I would I would I would be happy if that was uh, if that was to go ahead. Yeah, well, Chelsea seems as if they're going to bring in Sterling and Rafinha to to play in 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 the the wing forward positions next season. Um, Ziyech is someone that Tuchel hasn't really fancied. I don't he didn't sign him. Um. Yeah, I think he's he's been good in spells at Chelsea, but he's had injury problems. He's been out of the team. But there has been occasions where I've seen Chelsea games against the likes of Liverpool and City, where he has just whipped the ball into the top corner. Um, he's got an absolute wand of a left foot. If if he was coming to United and doing that on consistent basis, I think we'd we'd all be absolutely ecstatic, wouldn't we? He's got bags of pace, bags of energy. He's like a Duracell bunny, the guy. He's a whippet. He never stops running. He just, you know, he's just all day, every day. Um, You know, again, which is, yeah, he, like you said, Kyle, he's had some great games for Chelsea. I've watched him play, like you said, against Liverpool. So, oh, he's absolutely phenomenal. He's been brilliant. Um, So, yeah, yeah, he would, he would, he would, uh, he would suit any Premier League club down to the ground, I think. Um, And if, if yeah, he would be a great, great signing if we were to go for him, 100%. Obviously, we're just speculating about Ziyech. There's been no like like solid links to Manchester United at the moment. I'm just thinking that he could be a potential alternative to Anthony if that deal doesn't come off for United. But I, I expect if uh, Ten Hag is desperate to get Anthony from Ajax, uh, United will probably get that deal done. As I, I, done. Would, I would say that if you Googled Ziyech to Manchester United, you'd find somebody's written a story saying we're interested. <laughs> yeah, they probably have uh, in the past, but 
I don't think it's been anything recently. Um, but every player has been linked to United at some point in their career. Yeah, you're right exactly. about that. Yeah, I'm, just being, I'm, just, I'm just being facetious. I'm not being serious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so the, the excitement is starting to build now. We're starting to bring players in. We're, we're finally seeing a wee bit of white smoke. Um, so just in time for the, the trip to, to Bangkok, which is coming up uh, on the 8th of July. Um, now, we obviously want new signings to be on the pieces and tour so they can you know, can bed in to the team and get used to Ten Hag's methods, uh, even if they have worked with them before. Um, but what I'll be looking out for is who will not be on the, the plane to Bangkok. Now, there's obviously players there who are being Finns players at United you know, in, in the most recent seasons and haven't been doing well and apparently have been made surplus of requirements but have not been sold yet. You know, We're talking about the likes of Juan Basaka, Bailly, Martial. I would love to see Ten Hag be absolutely ruthless and leave some of these guys at home and not take them on tour. What's the point of them going on tour? Because, I mean, you want to be working with the players that you're going to be using this season, then we borrow your squad. What's the point in working with people who are not going to be there? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's one of them ones. I mean, I think every fan would love to, absolutely love to see every player that we don't like kind of get frozen out. Um, and you're right, Kyle. I mean, in some ways, you know, it doesn't really make sense um, from a tactical perspective. But I suppose while a player's at the club, he is employed by the club. Um and while a player may not be that popular in the club, he may be popular, say, in one of the countries that we're touring in, you know, so maybe it makes sense commercially to have, you know, players um, going on the tour, you know, for other reasons other than football reasons. You know, I know Manchester United aren't interested in commercial things and they're all about the football, of course. Um, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, just maybe there's other reasons why players might go. Um, but, yeah, no, I, th- I think what you're saying is 100% right. You know, the interesting thing about all this really is, um, is is who is kind of getting a feel for who Ten Hag fancies and who he doesn't kind of fancy. I mean, I guess I always look at pre-season tours and pre-season games in general, as everybody does. They're friendlies, you know. They're all about trying things. In a way, they're they're kind of the they're kind of um, in a sense they are the method that a manager uses to decide who he wants and doesn't want, and also probably to kind of. Um, justify who he already maybe decides he doesn't want. Um, so, you know, if a manager thinks I want rid of such and such a player, but I haven't seen him play yet, well, once I see him play, I can say, look, I've watched you play and I'm, I'm still not convinced. So, you know, you got you got to go kind of thing. Um, so I think there's a few um, reasons why some of these guys might be on the tour and maybe, you know, maybe Ten Hag has already decided that they don't really have a future. Um, but yeah, but I mean, it would, it would be very interesting. Certainly it would be, make a bigger story for us and be more talent if he was to leave a few of these guys out and it would be, be obvious those are people that he, he doesn't kind of fancy um, but yeah it'd be interesting to see see how he kind of plays it himself I don't expect to see five players being left at home but I can imagine somebody will be left out um, it, it takes me back to when Bastian Schweinsteiger was totally frozen out by Mourinho and wasn't even allowed to train with the first team Um if, <laughs> That was pretty rough. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty rough in the furnace. Can you imagine Mourinho doing what we said there? But uh, not sure every manager would do it. But yeah, Mourinho, Mourinho was definitely not afraid to do it. Yeah, and I'm certainly send a message to the players that are going on the plane to Bangkok that this is I'm a pretty ruthless guy here, and you better do. Uh, you better follow my methods, or you're gonna you could find yourself in this position next year. Um, exactly. Yeah, and I was liking the sound of um, what I was hearing that he's he's starting training at nine a.m. sharp, 
rather than 10 a.m. as it was on the Solskar. Um, 9 a.m. was the old Fergie time for training starting. Um, so yeah, he's, he's getting them in a lot earlier. And what I heard as well was that yesterday they were put through a two-hour grueling session and that was their, their first day, obviously. So um, it's sounding good so far. And and he's he's a guy that very rarely smiles. He's very stern, isn't he? Um, and I like that in a manager. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I've noticed that too. I was going to mention that there when you were saying a second ago about showing his ruthless side. I get that vibe off him already, whether he needs anybody <laughs> or not. I think I think if everything that I've seen so far shows that he's made it pretty clear that he's ruthless without ever having to, to do any of these big statements. Um, I think his face kind of says it all. Yeah, absolutely, Kylie. He seems like he takes no prisoners. Um, I heard that uh, he was, I think I read that he when he had his first discussion with the players yesterday, he spoke for like well, 20 minutes or half an hour or something. It was quite quite a long time. It was was less than, it was more than just a introduction. Hello, I'm Eric. Today we're going to, you know, it sounded like it was more, right, I'm going to give you it straight here. You know, these are what it's going to be like under me. These are the rules. These are what I expect. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I, th- I don't think he'll, I think he'll have very clear ideas. Um, like we said earlier, you know, he, he was pretty successful at Ajax. You know, we've had these issues in the past where, you know, Solskjaer and stuff, particularly we talked about, you know, what was his record? What, what would the players have to kind of, you know, look up to or respect, um, bar, you know, bar his playing career? Um, but Ten Hag has definitely got that where he, he's got that aura about him where he can say, you know, I was extremely successful and with the right players, I'll be even more successful, you know, and, you know, I'm not going to take any prisoners here. Um, so, yeah, he's definitely, definitely got that about him, which is, which I like to see as well. Um, you know, I mean, he needs to, he needs to build rapport with players. He needs to get on with them. You know, players have to be happy when they're playing too. They can't be, they can't be living in fear. At the same time, you have to know where the line is and it. He seems like just like Ferguson was the kind of guy who knows uh, kind of where to draw the line. So, um, yeah, yeah, it'll be uh, it, hopefully it'll be a, it'll be a good season. Yeah, I, I I've heard stories about certain players at Ajax where he's 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 fallen out with them. Didn't think that they were working hard enough on the pitch, and he got rid of them. I think uh, David Nares, I think maybe was one of them. Um, Ajax sold him to Shattered and Esk, and he's now at Benfica. Um, I think he was the player, or it might have been somebody else, where he was very unhappy about their lack of work rate off the ball. So um, he, he soon got rid of him. If he's given the power to do that at United, that would be brilliant. Because I'm sick of managers being blocked from from getting rid of players and getting new contracts and undermining the manager. And hopefully that era is gone. And the manager, with the box office with the manager, he... Is is someone who's firmly in control. I'm not having to, you know, being overruled by the chief executive. Well, we've seen um, uh, Richard Arnold meeting a group of fans, and he was saying all the right things. Um, he he since met David Gill, and you know he's the right person to seek advice from, as he's been part of a successful era at Manchester United as chief executive. Um, I know David Gill is not he's not a flawless individual by any means, but in terms of his job as a CEO, he he done a good job. Some will argue that Fergie made him look good, but still he he was part of a much more successful era than what uh, Edward Wood was. I mean, I think we won, you know, five five between two thousand and three two thousand and thirteen when Gill was the the top man of the club. I think won five league titles, uh, the Champions League, uh, the FA Cup, the League Cup several times. So. 
yeah, I think Richard Arnold's doing the right thing, doing the right things. He's saying the right things. He's meeting fans, telling them what they want to hear. He was he's brutally honest uh, from the footage that I saw, and he's and he's seeking advice from David Gill. So, in terms of um, our views on Richard Arnold in, in the early days of his reign. Uh, it certainly seems as if he's taken a different approach to Edward Wood, especially when he's saying things like um, that John and Eric will be the ones signing the players. You know, I'm not going to be taking, you know, a, a role in this. I'm just very much taking a back seat. And that's that's exactly what we want to hear, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, like, like you said there, Kyle, say people can say what they want about David Gill, but at the very least, David Gill knows what a successful football club looks like. You know, he knows what it's like to be chief executive of a successful football club that's winning trophies and, and having success on the pitch. So you're right in saying that Arnold, you know, did the right thing and having a chat with him. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, so far, I think Richard Arnold is saying all the right things. The fact that he went to meet those fans, I guess, yeah, it showed that he's got guts. It showed that he's um, that he at least wants to, on the face of it, you know, show that fans are, are as important to him as anybody else. Um, you know, he's not one of these kind of people, you know, or he's, at least he's portraying the character of a person who's not going to sit in their ivory tower and say, you know, I run the football club, you're just a fan, you're not important for me to talk to. You know, we've complained for a long time that fans' voices don't get heard enough by the owners and the board, and I'm sure Arnold will have heard that, and it looks like he's trying to change that view and show fans that actually they do they do care down to, you know, so far, as much as the fact that even leave their house to go down to the pub to, to meet them. Um. I've heard some criticism of him from that perspective. Actually, some people saying that it's a naive, you know, that he kind of thought that conversation wouldn't be recorded. You know, I mean, if he thought it wouldn't be recorded, it probably was naive. But then again, maybe he knew it would be recorded and he didn't care. He thought, well, you know, um, the positives from it will outweigh the negative. So, yeah, um, everything, you know, we've heard the last while, all the moving and shaking, all the changes of personnel at kind of manage, management level at, at Manchester United, all sounds on paper very positive. It wasn't looking too positive for quite a while there until today because we were saying same old, same old, dragging their feet over transfers, you know, what's going on. But today things look a bit brighter. Um, so, yeah, hopefully this is the start of a much more successful era. On paper it looks that way, um, but the proof will be in the pudding as always. Um, and we'll see, you know, who we really sign and who really goes. And like you said, kind of think a big thing um, it will be whether the manager will be backed in terms of the people that he wants to get rid of as opposed to wants to get. Um, and if players get frozen out, will they be given new contracts or will they be let go because he, they're clearly surplus to the manager's requirements? And I think those things will be uh, more telling than anything that anybody ever says. Um, so, yeah, let, let's see how it works out in practice. Yeah, it's all looking a bit more positive today. I think we were getting very, very frustrated Um after the first six weeks of the window, um, but today has been a good day. Um, we're the players, we're starting to get players in, uh, and um, hopefully, I, I, I never thought what we we could potentially have three or four players, new players on the plane to Bangkok. But it seems as if you know that could be possible now. Um, so yeah, um, I'm I'm feeling a wee bit more positive than I was even this morning at nine a.m. Uh, I was as as a wee bit gloomy about where things were going, you know. But now I'm, you know, feeling a wee bit more uh, excited about um, uh, the the new season coming. And um, keep let's keep the signs rolling in. Let's keep the keep it rolling, um, and then let's get rid of a few players as well. 
um, who are not, who haven't been pulling their weight. Um, just want to ask you about Ronaldo. Now, apparently, Jorge Mendes met the the new Chelsea owner, um, and to, to explore the possibility of, you know, Ronaldo signing for Chelsea, um, because apparently Ronaldo is very frustrated with you know his lack of transfer activity, like we all have been. Do you think this is just kind of a bluff from Ronaldo and Mendes just to kick United into gear and start signing players? Because I think if he really wanted to leave, he would have made that known after the, the last game of the season. He's obviously frustrated, like I say, that you know we've signed virtually no one until today. Um, do you think it was just a wee bit of a threat to, kinda, to get United to, to, to sign some players? Yeah. It's a strange one, isn't it? You know, and it, it reminds me in a sense, you know, when I think back even to when Ronaldo re-signed for us and it looked like he was going to sign for Man City. And everybody, everything was going, oh, there's no way in hell, you know, he signed for Man City and then he didn't, he signed for Man United when he went, oh, he was never going to sign for Man City. And part of me does, you know, kind of think, you know, what was that a tactic by him and Mendes to get United to move on him? And maybe it was, and if it was, it was very clever and it worked out really well. But there is a party, you know, you deep, kind of me deep down that thinks to myself, well, would he have went through with it? Would he have went to Man City? And this kind of feels a wee bit like that in a sense. Again, it's, you know, it's kind of a case of, you know, is this all a bluff? Is it all just, you know, uh, you know, a kind of a, a way to force the hand of people upstairs at Man United? And maybe it is, maybe it is. And, and look, you know, what happened a couple of days ago, now today, we're all happy with the new standings, you know. I'm sure there's no relationship, but maybe, maybe, maybe there is. Maybe Mendes was trying to, you know, put a little bit of a spanner in the works and see if it would force a hand. But again, it makes me think deep down: is it is it that really clever reason, or or does he actually, um, you know, would he actually go? I mean, I don't doubt Ronaldo's loyalty to United in terms of, you know, in England, you know, Manchester United have to be his first love. I mean, they absolutely are. I don't think that's that's in doubt. But the thing is more that it's that it, while Man United is first love in terms of clubs, his first love is always himself and success and trophies, <laughs> and that's not that's not being, you know, rooted by him. And it's a good thing. It's what it's what makes him the player that he is. Is why he's so good and so successful because he's absolutely driven by his own ambitions and his own need for need to succeed, which he drags the club along with him. Um, but it does make me think, you know, which would would he leave Man United? If he thought they were going to get worse and worse and worse, and he could get success somewhere else, um, I would like to believe that that wouldn't be at a club in England. Um, maybe that he would go back to a sport in Lisbon or somewhere else. Um, but yeah, you know, it does it does make you think. Um, I mean, I think at the end of it all, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, I think he's, I think you know, like you said, Kyle, things look brighter already. I'm sure he sees that, and you know, he's, I think, I think he's on holiday in the beef at the minute. Red, I'm sure he, he's hearing these things, same as us, and he's going, oh, that's good, good news. So. I don't think it'll ever happen, but it does make you sort of think, you know, w- would he go? And yeah, I don't know, part of me thinks he would, but I don't want to believe that he would, but yeah, who knows? Yeah, I, I think if United wasn't his first love in England, I think he would go, he'd just go to Chelsea. He would have been there already. He would have went already if if, yeah, if, he, probably, if he wasn't loyal to United. Probably right, yeah, yeah. I think... Given that United are in the Europa League, as everyone knows, and Ronaldo hasn't played in the Europa League for twenty years, I think the only reason why he's he's still here is number one, his loyalty to United, and number two, his loyalty to Alex Ferguson. Yeah, absolutely, hundred um, percent. That's why I don't believe that he will go to Chelsea. 
I think it is a bluff to try and get United to sign some quality players because he knows that his teammates from last season were not up to it. Most of them were not up to it. So he wants to see quality additions. And and you alluded to him when he came to United last August. Yeah, that was potentially a bluff as well. Um, Mendes pretending that they're going to do a deal with Man City to kick, click United into gear. Because it seemed as if United, bizarrely, weren't even interested in him until um, Mendes made it known to the media that he's going to sign for City. And then it seemed as if Alex Ferguson was offended by that and, and, and phoned up Ronaldo and said, what are you doing? What are you doing, uh, Cristiano? You can't go there. <laughs> and within 24 hours, he's, he was a United player. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, 100%, right, Kyle? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. 100%. Okay, it's been an exciting show uh, and I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there uh, for today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you back on again, Chris. A pleasure being on as always, Kyle. Enjoyed the chat. Yep, and it's good to be on. You say I picked a good day, picked a nice, um, a nice bright day in terms of United to come on and chat. So all good, mate. All good. Yeah, it must be the first positive podcast that I've done, and potentially since what, maybe two seasons ago. <laughs> <laughs> it says it all, really. It says it all. Well, hopefully, hopefully, more positive ones to come in the future. Well, that's actually not correct. I'd say the last positive podcast we did was when Ronaldo signed last August. That was that that one there. That was a very positive one. Very true. Very um, true. Okay, don't forget to follow us. Follow us on social media. Um, we're Glory Glory Podcast at Facebook and YouTube and Instagram, and uh, on Twitter the podcast page is United underscore Podcast underscore, and you can also follow me and Chris on Twitter at Kyle Seven Quinn. And at nugget underscore seventy five. So, um, I've been delighted, delighted to do the show today, guys. Um, please leave us a wee like on the video, um, hit that subscribe button and hit that bell button to get notifications when we go live. And I'll, I'll see you again then, Chris. Take care, Kyle. Take care, good man. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you later. Mm-hmm.